Kids, I have a question for you. Do you know what next Sunday is? That's a good guess. No, it's not, the, it's not the shared meal. Normally, we would have the shared meal on the first Sunday of the month, and so that's a great guess, but we postponed it a week. Do you know what next Sunday is? The 4th of July. That's right, the 4th of July. So next week is the 4th of July. And we celebrate the 4th of July because it's Independence Day, the day that uh, the United States declared independence. And um, we celebrate a variety of holidays throughout the year. We celebrate Independence Day to um, remember that we are a free nation. We celebrate Memorial Day um, to remember those who have given their lives for uh, the freedom of this country. We celebrate Veterans Day to uh, celebrate those who have served in the armed forces. Uh, and we celebrate a variety of other holidays like Thanksgiving. What's Thanksgiving for? Giving thanks, good, good guess, yeah. Yeah, Thanksgiving is for, for giving thanks. It's a, a, a day that we remember after the harvest has come in um, how God has provided for us. And so it's a day of giving thanks. And there are many, many other holidays that we celebrate. They're days that are set apart. They're set apart for remembering or honoring or celebrating something. And this morning, we are going to read through Psalm 81, and Psalm 81 was a celebration psalm. It was to go along with the Festival of Booths, along with other things, other, uh, other celebrations. But, but this is a celebration song, and, and I'm going to read it for you, just so that you've heard it once all the way through. And you'll see that it's a little bit strange. Like, when you think of a, of a celebrating kind of song... Uh, this is going to start out like you might imagine, and then it's going to take a little bit of a turn, and it's going to sound a little bit less celebratory. So let, let's just listen to this, okay? This is uh, Psalm 81, to the choir master, according to the Gittith of Asaph. So Asaph is the one who wrote it. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day, for it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there will be no strange God among you. There shall, you shall not bow down to any foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my head against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him. Their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. 
He, he starts out with this, this really singing, right? In, in verse 1, you have, sing aloud, sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Did you know that God's people are a singing people? You might think, well, I, I'm not really a singing person myself. I'm not one of those people that finds myself singing in the car along with the radio. I don't find myself showering in the morning and singing in the shower. I don't really like to hear my own voice. I'm not really a singing person. But you know what? God's people are a singing people. There's something about song that celebrates I mean, think about when we celebrate you. On, on your annual celebration day, on your birthday, what happens? People sing to you. Right? You may not appreciate the quality of the singing. Right? I have been in some groups where they sing happy birthday, and I was like, this is what happy birthday can sound like? That's amazing. I never knew it could sound good. But there have been other times when people are singing happy birthday and you're like, whew, I appreciate what you're trying to do. Do you know that God feels that way? I appreciate what you're trying to do. Everybody sings happy birthday. It doesn't matter if you know how the tune goes. It doesn't matter if you can hit the right pitches. You just sing happy birthday to the best of your ability. You belt it out to celebrate people. And when you come into God's house, when you come into his place of worship, the reason that we gather here together, I don't know if you know this, but the reason that we get together here is so that we can sing. It's so that we can worship God. So however it comes out, that's fine. We are singing it to God. You're not trying to impress the person sitting next to you or the person in the row in front of you. You just sing it out. Because that is what we're called to do. He's, he's calling God's people together for this festival. And he's saying, look, we're getting together. We're getting together for a time of celebration. And we are going to sing. It's the first word. Sing. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Not so much into the singing. Shout. Hooray! You can set out, shout out a hooray in church. That's okay. Hallelujah. Praise God. We're, we're here to celebrate. That's why we come on Sunday mornings is to celebrate. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine. I, I was talking with some other pastors this week. There's a, a group of, of churches, not just New Life Church. New Life Church in all three locations preaches the same, um, same sermon every Sunday. We do that together. But in the summertime, we go through the Psalms together, and we have several other churches in the area that are also going through the Psalms with us. And so there were about six of us together, six pastors that were all going to be preaching Psalm 81 this morning, and we were talking about it. And one of the guys says, I don't know if you noticed as you were reading through it in the Hebrew, and I went, of course I did. <laughs> no. <laughs> He says, I don't know if you noticed as you were reading through it in the Hebrew, but that word sing is to make a, a croak or a loud noise. I was like, that's great. I can croak and make a loud noise. We, that, that kind of singing I can do. And so let, as you were reading it in the Hebrew, you probably also noticed 
that it just means to croak, croak or make a loud noise. And so I would encourage you, on Sunday mornings, if that's how it comes out, let it out. We are just going to make a loud noise and praise God. We're going to raise a song, verse 2. Sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre, and the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. He's, he's just describing these times of the year when they would get together and they would have these celebrations. He's setting us up for when this particular celebration is. Uh, up to this point, we just know that we're getting ready to celebrate something. We don't know what yet. We're just having a holiday. And he's setting us up and he's going, well, look, we're going to sing. We're going to dance. We're going to uh, play the tambourines. We're going to make, blow the trumpets. Right? We're, we're, just, we're going to celebrate Something. We're going to celebrate God. Sing aloud to God our strength. He's the one that we are singing our praises to. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. He's the one that we are praising. We are celebrating him and we are setting aside this special time, this special holiday, this special festival that we are going to praise him. And so I just want to encourage you that we do this every Sunday, but then there are also particular holy days, particular days of the year that we might set aside even more. And we might say, for instance, on Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Christ. On Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And there are other uh, days, too, that we might celebrate. But here, this is, this is his encouragement to us, that we would blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. Because, he says, verse 4, For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. Here comes the voice of the Lord, a heavenly voice, a language never heard before. Right? A language that is unknown. And Asaph says, I, I, I heard this voice. This unknown voice. As God's people were enslaved in Egypt, residing there, if, if you want to go back and read through Genesis about how they ended up there because of famine, they moved into that area, but then they became enslaved as they lived there and were, were put to hard labor. And while they were there, they cried out to the Lord and the Lord responded and he set them free, right? So in verse in verse uh, 5, it says he went out over the land of Egypt. And so this festival, we're being told, is going to remind us about that episode. Where God's voice said, let my people go. Let my people go. That was the message that Moses brought to Pharaoh. Let my people go. No longer are they going to be enslaved here in Egypt. We are letting my people go. I'm bringing them out. I'm bringing them out. And then it says, and he made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land. So, and a statue, oh, sorry, verse 4. 
For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph. So when, when God did this, when he brought them out of Egypt, and you remember the plagues, you remember how he brought them through the Red Sea and he wiped out Pharaoh's army so that they didn't have to do anything, and he brought them to Mount Sinai, and then he gave them the law, he gave them the commandments. And when he did, there, he gave them this whole list of things. Right? You could read through uh, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and you can see all of the instructions he gave them. But some of the instructions he gave them was these days that are going to be set apart. During this time of the year, we're going to set this time aside, and you are going to remember what I have done for you. You're going to celebrate it. So I want to read to you from, from Deuteronomy chapter 31. Starting in verse 10, it says, And Moses commanded them. This is toward the end of Moses' life. He is commanding uh, the, the people of Israel. And he says, At the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. And be careful to do all the words of this law. And that their children, who have not known it, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going to over the Jordan to possess." God says, look, I brought you out of Egypt, and I'm going to bring you into this new land. And in this new place, here's what you're going to do. Every year, you're going to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And every seventh year, you're going to gather everybody together, and you're going to read the entire book of Deuteronomy together. That sounds like a winner, doesn't it? If I said, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get together, and we're just going to read through the entire book of, of uh, Deuteronomy together. And we're going to remember all of the laws and all of the instructions. But why did he say that they were to do this? So that they would remember who God is and what he has asked them to do. Listen, verse 12 of, of this was, assemble the people. And then he specifies, not just, look, I, I want you to know for sure who these people are. This is the men and the women, and the children, and anybody who's visiting. So anybody who's anybody is supposed to come together to hear this, so that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of the law. Now back to Psalm 81, verse 4. This is the statute that he was talking about. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. This is what they heard from God in verse 6 now. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. 
Up until this point, he's been calling people together and he goes, look, you're supposed to come, you're supposed to sing, we're supposed to celebrate because we heard the words of the Lord and we were commanded that we were to have this time of celebration. We were to have this time, this feast of booze, that we would celebrate what God has done and we would remember how God came. And here's what God said to us when he instructed us that we were to do this every single year. It was because... God says, I relieved your shoulder of the burden and your hands were freed from the basket. All of that hard labor that you had to do, I have freed you from that. I brought you out of Egypt. You were slaves in Egypt, now you're free because I brought you out. I delivered you. In your distress, you called and I delivered you. I, I love the way that he describes this because I see this so often in Scripture, that God frees us and then we recognize it, right? I relieved, he says, I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. Then in distress you called. It's, it's almost as if God was already in work of freeing them and then they recognized that they needed to be freed and so they called out to him, God, would you save us? But he was already in the process of bringing them the Savior so that when they called out, the work was already being done. They just hadn't realized it yet. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In your distress, you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in that secret place of thunder. Is there, like, a better description of this? The, think about the voice of the Lord at, at Mount Sinai, right? That, that this, the thundering voice of the Lord as he's giving the law to Moses, giving the instructions to Moses. But how is this described? The secret place of thunder. How secret is thunder? I mean, just as a, as, as a description, can you think of anything more secret than thunder? I mean, when somebody talks about bringing the thunder, you don't go, you mean in secret? You're going to bring the thunder in secret? No, it, it's this boom. But it's this place that he has called them to, this place that you wouldn't have expected. He brings them to Mount Sinai out in the desert, and that's where they hear this booming voice of the Lord. That's where he gives them the instructions that they are to celebrate what he has done for them. He says, I, I answered you in the secret place of thunder, and I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Now, you may not remember the episode at Meribah, but here's what happened. They were enslaved in Egypt, and they were complaining about being enslaved in Egypt. And then, so what God did is he brought them out of Egypt, and he brought them into the desert. And they went, oh, great, good. Moses, is this what, this was what God's great plan was? We were in Egypt and we had to work really hard, but at least we had water because we weren't in the desert, right? We, the, at least they provided us with some water. And here we are out in the desert and I don't see any water. You, God could deliver us from Egypt, but he, he didn't provide for us in the desert. He's not going to provide for us out here. We're going to die of thirst out here in the desert. We should just go back to Egypt. God's going, I, come on, guys. Did, did you see the plagues that I brought in Egypt? 
Did you see my power on display? Do you think that I would bring you out and then not provide for you? Do you think that's who I am? Do you think I'm incapable of providing for you? Do you think I'm unwilling to provide for you? Do you know this is not an uncommon experience for people? That they get this deliverance and then go into a desert period. So God delivered them, then they got brought into the desert, and it's like he was testing to see, are they going to trust me here? And they grumbled and complained. Sometimes I think people are told, you know, oh, if you're a Christian, then life is going to be great, you know, as a Christian. Because then you have God on your side, and then they they go, okay, I I believe in God, and I'm going to um, ask for forgiveness of my sins, and I'm going to follow him, and then God will provide for me, and then life is hard still. And you go into this sort of desert period of your life where you're wondering, is God really going to provide? And he does. Because here's what happened at Meribah. At Meribah, they grumbled, they complained, and then God provided water right out of the rock. Enough water for everybody to be refreshed. He said, watch, you want me to provide? We're out here in the desert. This rock is going to open up, and water is going to come shooting out of it. And I will provide you all the water you need. So this is why now then they are supposed to celebrate this and they're supposed to celebrate it every year. While he was on the mountain and giving him the giving Moses the law in Leviticus 23 it puts it this way. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for 7 days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the 7th month. You shall dwell in booths for 7 days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Tents. You have to live in a tent for seven days. Every year, go camping for seven days. Why? To remind them that God brought them out of Egypt and brought them into this place where they had to live in the desert in tents. And he provided for them there. Every morning they woke up and there was bread on the ground. He provided meat for them. He provided water for them. He provided everything that they needed out there in the desert. And they lived there. And so every year for seven days they were to live in these booths, in these tents, as a reminder to themselves of the God who delivered them from slavery and provides for them. God saves his people. He delivers them from slavery, and now he's saying, and now you must celebrate this. As I was reading through this, I I couldn't help but, but see the connection between this and last week. Right? Last week, 
um, the U.S. government said, we're going to have a new national holiday. It was unanimously approved in the Senate and nearly unanimously approved in the House. What is this special day set apart for? It's a reminder that slavery was ended in the United States. But there was this period of time where officially slavery was ended and not everybody had heard about it yet. Officially, the work had already been done. They were already free. They just didn't know it yet. And so June 19th marks the day that the last of the slaves heard that they were free. And now the United States has said, and now we are going to set this day aside to remember that everyone in the U.S. is free. And to remember that everyone has heard or can hear that they are free in the United States. This is a very similar um, celebration to what's happening here. They were slaves in Egypt. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and they got brought out, and God is saying, now I want you to remember that I am the one who delivered you. Don't forget that. I am your God. I delivered you out of slavery. I provided for you in the wilderness, and I gave you this land, this land flowing with milk and honey. Even though you argued with me, even though you quarreled with me at Meribah, which just means quarreling, the place of quarreling. Sometimes, I think that we get stuck in our sin. And we need to be reminded we've been set free from that. We need to have this time every week where we get together and we remind ourselves that we belong to God because he has delivered us from our sin. We are no longer enslaved to sin. Jesus has provided the work. He died on the cross to set us free so that we would no longer uh, be enslaved to sin, but instead we could live in a place of freedom. That was the work that Jesus did. He gave his life for that. That's why we celebrate Good Friday. It's like our Memorial Day. Jesus giving his life for our freedom from sin. Do you know that just, um, just like those slaves who had not heard about the Emancipation Proclamation yet, there are people that don't know that the work of Jesus has already taken place. There are people who are still enslaved to sin because they don't know that Jesus has set them free, has given them a way to be set free from sin. They're still acting as if they are enslaved. Hear, O people, he says, verse 8. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Listen, hear. So first they're, they're told, come and sing. And now they're saying, now listen and hear that God is the one who has delivered you. God is the one who has set you free. 
And so, because he's the one, then there shall be no other gods. Right? If you're reading through, that's like commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. He's just quoting the law. Oh, my people, listen while I admonish you, as I encourage you, as exhort you, instruct you. If you would just listen to me, there shall be no strange gods among you, and you shall not bow down to a foreign god, because I I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And if you open your mouth wide, I will fill it. I get this picture of a baby robin in a nest with its mouth open. It just, they just sit there in the nest, hoping that something will fall in their mouths. And mommy and daddy robins go and they get things that I wouldn't want to put in my mouth, but... The baby birds are super excited to have these worms dropped in their mouths, right? So mommy and daddy Robin go out, they grab the worms, they come back, and there's the baby birds. And they just drop it in. And they gobble it up hungrily. And God is saying, if you just sit there with your mouth open wide expectantly, I will fill your mouth. I will make you satisfied. You will have no more needs. But verse 11, but my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. And so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. This is where the, uh, uh, I start going, are, this is still a song, right? This is still a celebration song? We're still having a party? These are the words that we're singing? But it's instructive to people as they're remembering at this festival of booths and as they're going to be reading through the law, what they're being reminded of as they sing this song is how, the God, how God has instructed them and how they are to follow and trust. How they are to listen and believe. How they have been set free from sin, how they, how they have been set free from slavery so that they can follow God. Right? Sometimes, especially here in the United States, we are all about our freedom. And we think that we have been set free for the sake of being free. Uh-uh, you can't tell me what to do. I am free. I ain't nobody's slave. You can't tell me what to do. I have freedom. Listen to, to how he, he says this in verse 12. Well, 11 and 12. My people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. What's the great punishment? That pitiable, lamentable consequence of not following God? Being able to do whatever you want. We should have the greatest pity for those people who are doing whatever they want. That's the way he describes it. It's the most pitiable kind of freedom. You were set free from slavery to do whatever you want. That's no good. We need to follow someone. We need to have someone over us. We need to submit to someone. And it needs to be God. Because if we don't submit to God and what he wants, 
then instead we are submitting to our own fleshly desires and whatever we want. And I don't know if you have observed the lives of people who do whatever they want, who eat whatever they want, drink whatever they want, do, go, be whatever they want. It is not a thing to be celebrated. It is a road to destruction. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but in every case, a road to destruction. And so he warns them. My people did not listen to me and would not submit to me, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Paul puts it this way in Romans. What can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So everyone is without excuse. But although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We don't want that. And God didn't want that for his people, the Israelites. And so when he delivered them out, he said, you are going to have this festival. You're going to have it for every year. You're going to live in a tent for seven days every year. And you're every seven years going to read through the whole book of Deuteronomy together to remind yourselves and your children and the visitors and everyone that I am God. And I have delivered you from slavery so that you can be my people and walk in my ways, listening to me and submitting to me. Oh, that my people would listen to me, he says in verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. When we follow God, he is with us. Sometimes we think, oh, if I become a Christian, then God will be on my side. No, it's the other way around. When you become a Christian, you're on God's side. God will protect you, provide for you, defend you because you're on his side. So we are freed to follow him and to submit to him. Oh, that my people would listen to me that Israel would walk in my ways, I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. That we would hear him and follow him. Jesus said it this way in, in John chapter 10. After people were asking him, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 
I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the great news that we have, that Jesus came to set us free from sin so that we might belong to him. And when we belong to him, we hear his voice, we know him, we listen to him, we submit to him, and no one can take us out of his hands. No one can make us become enslaved again because we have been set free to follow him. Back in Psalm 81, verse 15, those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever. Those who dislike the Lord, I'm sorry, but it's not going to go well. Because God is God. There is no other God. He is ruler of heaven and earth. And so you may cringe this, this sort of hunkered bow, I don't want to do this, but the reality is he is God whether you like it or not. And whether you never change your mind about liking the fact that he is God, he is God, and so your fate is to be cringing in his presence forever if you will not listen and submit to him. Because he's not going to change. And so if we want to be free, we want to follow him because this is what he gives for those who follow him, verse 16. He would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. Isn't that a great picture? He has already said, if you open your mouth wide, I will fill it. What's he going to fill it with? They were complaining at Meribah because they didn't have enough. They, there wasn't food, there wasn't water there. They were complaining about that. And he says, you know what I'm going to give you? I'm going to give you the finest of wheat, and I'm going to give you honey pouring from the rock. Not just water, but honey. I'm going to fill your mouth, and I'm going to fill your mouth with good things. And so we follow him. I want to read you this, finish with this from Romans chapter 6. Verses 16, verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Then verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We get together to celebrate that. If you have not this morning um, feel like you have been set free from sin, I would encourage you to uh, repent and ask God to forgive you because Jesus has died on the cross in your place. And for those of you who have already done that and already believe, I would encourage you to listen to the Lord and walk in his ways because that is what it means to be truly free. That we submit ourselves and are obedient to him and that he provides us with every blessing.
Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that you have provided, that you began providing before we even recognized our own need. That you have made a way even for those who have not yet heard. And so, Lord, we pray that the message would go out. I pray for those who are here that they would believe and respond to that message, that they would continually be listening to you and walking in your ways, submitting to your desires. Lord, I pray for those who are not here, those who have not heard or those who have heard and are cringing in your presence because they have rejected it. Father, I pray that they might hear again and this time believe. Lord, for those who um, have been handed over to their own freedom, I pray that they would see the futility of their ways before they reach destruction. that they might cry out to you for true freedom. That they might desire your salvation, a freedom from sin and a freedom from the lusts of the flesh, so that you might fill them to satisfaction with the truly good things. And Lord, we commit as your people, to singing and celebrating and praising you for this great work. In Jesus' name, amen.